So you're turning into your Bible and you're in the in your book or on your phone. We are going to be in the letter to Colossians, which is right after Philippians. So they put these two in order, kind of. They were building the Bible. But again, these are the prison epistles, right? So this is Paul's writing from a prison, whether it was Rome or Ephesus or, or one other place, perhaps. Right? We all, we do realize, you know, church historians and experts know that these are written from prison when Paul was, you know, he couldn't get out. So he's writing to this church in Colossae that he had not been to, but he had been in the region at least on his first mission trip, maybe all of them, or at least a couple of them. Um, so I titled this, though, Let Someone Else Do the Work, right? Because that's really all, it's really what it's about, and it's part of what Paul is getting to in not only this letter, but we're going to see one of the quotes from the from Second Corinthians as well, right? He wants to remind the people that there is little things we need to do and things that have God has already done, right? So since we're talking about work, um, so do you think you guys have good enough taste buds to be an ice cream taster? Or how does that job sound? That sound like a good job? Like, I don't know, I can give you a report, it tastes good or bad. You know, I don't know how noty I can get. Like, well, this one tastes really like vanilla and wood and whatever, right? But that'd be a great job. How about, how about this, since we're studying with food, who wants to be a dog food taster or tester? Apparently there are humans that taste and test the dog food for whatever reason. I don't know, I'm not sure what that, uh, entails as far as qualifications right because these jobs require qualifications so what about do you have good enough hearing to be a parmesan cheese listener so apparently they when they make the parmesan cheese right they're in these big wheels so they gotta tap on the cheese wheels with hammers and just like you're doing a watermelon or something like that it makes a certain noise to say it's done right um so i couldn't do it i'm partially deaf or at least some certain frequencies in one of my ears right um or maybe you have a way with words and you love being on the phone and love getting yelled at, but maybe you could become a professional apologizer to calm down the angry customers. I guess Southwest actually hired people to be professional apologizers to people when they call in and say, I'm angry with you in my flight and blah, 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 blah. And so you talk them off the ledge and do whatever, right? So I don't know, who, who has the, who has the, uh, the uh, ability to do that, like calm down people? Who wants to get yelled out on the phone, right? Probably not most of us. Right, but, for, but for all these jobs, right, you have to have certain qualifications. But how do we get qualified? How do we get these qualifications for the job? Right? Some are you know, probably inherent or just kind of how you grew up. Right? But is it school? Right? You can go to school for certain things. You get experience, right? like, especially in the trades. Like you go to a school, kind of learn the basic things, and you've got to go out and do the welding and do the whatever, right? do all these things to learn how to do auto body or whatever else. And it's just something you pick up. right? Or maybe it's just luck. Somebody is impressed with whatever your speaking ability or whatever, and, and they say, hey, I want to hire you for this job. You, I think you'd be great for whatever reason, right? Or maybe, maybe you know the right person. And so they hire you because, hey, hey my, you know, my sister's cousin's brother's kid, you know, he, he's really good at whatevering, so I, I need somebody that's good at his job, right? So he's qualified. All of a sudden, you're qualified. Or maybe it's just athletic ability. But how confident would you feel about your doctor if he said, yeah, the, the doctor next door, he came over and said I was a doctor all of a sudden, I'm good to go. Like I've just made you, I've qualified you as a doctor now, so go ahead and see patients. That really wouldn't work out too well probably, right? Like wait a minute, unless you're just going to fix cuts and band-aid, you know, give me a band-aid because we can all do that pretty much, right? 
But you'd think he, would cra- he was crazy. Like, I, I didn't see an actual medical degree from some medical school, a legitimate medical school, right? Because that's what qualifies you as a doctor. You've passed the state boards, passed your tests, all these things, right? Because there's people that say, yes, you've made it, you've done enough to become qualified as a doctor, right? And so here, right, because we don't know certain things like doctors or plumbers. We don't know if they're qualified to do their job until sometimes after the fact, When you hire the wrong general contractor to come in and fix your house or the church and you find out all the things that he said he could or couldn't do and he didn't necessarily do it, or at least to our specifications or whatever it is, right? So all of a sudden you're like, well, i got to pay for the job twice or maybe I should have just done it myself. right? Well, Paul is reassuring the Colossians that they are indeed qualified to be Christians. He's saying, look, guys, you are Christians. If you've accepted Christ, you are a Christian. Don't listen to what everybody else is saying, right? Because, again, the same mantra, Paul goes somewhere, or Paul's in your places, and he has people following behind him, going, well, yeah, what Paul was said was mostly true, but what you really got to do is the rest of the stuff, right? And they break out the list, like, well, you got to do all these things to be a Christian, right? And so he has to write back, because they're going to write him, or Epaphras, in this case, comes to Paul, and says, hey, I got people going behind me telling lies at my church. What should I tell them? So Paul has to write a letter. So here you go. Tell them this. Or let me tell them in my own hand. Right? Let me write to them. Right. So he's doing this. So what we're going to do is we're going to read verses chapter 1, verses 11 through 23. Because that kind of sets up everything. Because really what this letter is about, it's about Christ. So if you, if you have friends who are interested and maybe don't want to read Romans because it's long and it's difficult maybe, right? This is nice four chapters. It's very short. So hand them, hand them the letter to the Colossians because it explains and sets up Christ, right? So it's, it has what we call a high Christology, right? It talks about Jesus on a very clear level about who he is, right? Who, who Jesus is and what he did. And it's a lot smaller and shorter and easier bite-sized chunks kind of than Romans, because Romans kind of lays out the whole Bible in, in 16 chapters, but Colossians really explains who Jesus is. So we're going to go ahead and read Colossians chapter 1, verses 11 through 23. And then if you look on your outline, there's a couple verses for each point that we'll hit as well. All right, so here is what Paul says to the Colossians, starting in chapter 1, verse 11. Let me find it in my Bible here. So Paul says, being, so Paul is praying for the Corinthians, or the Colossians right now. So he says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified, qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So he, he's talking about Jesus here, he is the invisible, or the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that is in everything that he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death 
in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Right. So verses 15 through 20 are, are, are part of a hymn or a song. And so that lays out who Jesus is and why we are qualified to be Christians. And it's not because of our work, it's because of Jesus' work, right? So the main point is that God has already done all the work to bring you to him and give you a new life in him, right? So there it is again. God has already done all the work on the cross to bring you to him and give you a new life in him. So if you look at the outline, the first point is that God qualifies you through Christ, right? That's really what 15 through 20 and all the way to 22 really says and tells us. And see, this gives us this hope. But we'll kind of go backwards because we have to understand what's going on in Colossae. And really the whole Greek and Roman region here is, is that because of its, its location and multicultural background, in, you know, it's in Turkey, it's in what, what we consider modern-day Turkey, right? And the fact that the Rome and Grecian empires, right, they kind of allowed people to be whatever religion they were. For the most part, right? It's like if you're a Christian, if you're a Jew, whatever it is, you get to be worshiper of the birds. That's your thing. As long as you pay us your taxes and give homage to the emperor, we'll pretty much leave you alone for the most part. Now, they go back and forth and harass people here and there. But, but for the most part, you have kind of people doing what they want. So you have this region with all these religions. Right? You have all these religions, multiple gods and goddesses and temples. Right? When we get to the Ephesians letter next week, we're going to see that, that that was the home to like the largest temple to Artemis. It was this massive structure. Right? And so all these regions have numerous gods that they worship because they would worship them for certain things. I need one to plow my field. I need one for the rain. I need one for the, one for the fertility. I need one for whatever it is, and I go to this person. Now you had... Your house gods, right? So each family had a house god, so that was their favorite god, I guess, in a sense. And they would pray to that person or that god or goddess to do whatever it is, right? So and then you add in the Jewish population that come in and settle. So now you have Judaism, you have all these other ones, and they're all mixing together, right? And you could easily remove the names or change the names, and all of a sudden you get what we have here a lot of times in Christianity as well sometimes. We have a hodgepodge of, relig of religion sometimes or things that we take from other places because, well, it doesn't hurt. Right? And the atheists try to, try to blame us or whatever for stealing Yule and other, th other holidays that the pagans celebrated to make Christmas and other things like that. And Saturday, like things like that, right? So we have this hodgepodge of Jewish and pagan religions and festivals and belief systems. Right? All kind of mixed together. And so you see this, right? And so this, the report from Epaphras, who was probably the pastor, or at least some kind of missionary maybe in the Lycus Valley, right? So you have Colossae and Laodicea, so sort of like Santa Maria and Lompoc. You know, he was maybe over both, both cities or all the churches in, in the house churches. So he's going back and forth. And he's like, Paul, I need help. I got all these people saying these crazy things about Jesus and about whatever is going on. Right? And so Paul writes to this church, he responds to this, even though he's never been there. He said, look, Christ needs to rise above all the noise in the, of the culture. Right? Christ needs to be the one you focus on. He is the one true God. And he, you know, again, in 15 through 20 there, he breaks it all down and says, this is who Jesus is. 
And so Paul is battling this culture, right, of how people grew up. And, and also, as usual, he has to refute these Judaizers, these people going behind him. They're right, and they're telling half-truths, and they're trying to glue the Jewish law onto God's grace. But in Paul's letter, right, he, he prays for them. And this is how prayer is used for good theology as well. He says, give thanks to the Father. This is verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Right, looking for a job is very stressful. Like I was so stressed out when I retired from the Air Force, I was looking for another job. I was like, what am I qualified for? What can I apply for? This sounds cool, but I don't have any qualifications, right? I was looking up things for like, not here, but this week I was looking up like, what does it take to be a CEO? And you know, this, you gotta have a lot of experience, obviously, right? It's all these things, right? So it's stressful. And so, do I have what it takes to be a cheese listener or a, taste, you know, or a dog food taster or a, preferably an ice cream taster? That'd be the better job, right? But you see, that's something I would have to have in order to apply for the job, right? I have to have this experience. I've already, I've already had to do the job to get another job, which sometimes doesn't make sense for us, right? They want somebody entry level with 14 years of experience. It doesn't really work that way. But you see, Paul says we should be thankful as Christians because God has qualified us to this life. He has given us everything necessary to make us a Christian. And so for, you know, if we're buying a house, we need to have a good credit score, right? We need to have education or experience. And in our world, right, that means we have to meet the criteria so we can essentially, and we essentially qualify ourselves, right? If you want to buy a house, you need to have a credit score. Certain credit score most of the time, so that says, yeah, I'll give you a loan. I trust you enough to give you a loan, right? So you've already done the work by paying your bills and having a job and doing all these things. So the banks are saying, yeah, I'll give you money because I trust you enough. You've proven it. But God is doing something different. Right? Paul is saying here that, in, this, in the original language also, that the fact that, and we kind of miss it a little bit maybe, but God makes us sufficient God makes us sufficient to be in his presence. He performs the action on us and for us. That's completely different. He's basically this, the guy saying, you're now a doctor. And he would give you all the knowledge for whatever reason somehow in your head. Like, oh, cool, I'm a doctor, great. Right? 2 Corinthians 3, chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 says... Now that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not the, letter of, not the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life, right? And this word for adequacy is the same Greek word that we have here in Colossians, that the ESV translates as qualified. Right? Oh, can't really say it. It always messes up when we, when we switch it over here to this computer. But anyway, that's what that says. I just read 2 Corinthians 3, verses 5 through 6, right? So this same word, right? We're adequate. We're qualified. We have the qualifications all of a sudden because God has given us these qualifications, right? And this concept, Paul ties this concept of qualification in connection with the concept of inheritance, Right? He's not just qualifying us just because. He's, he's saying, look, also, I'm not only giving you a job, but I'm giving you a paycheck. I'm giving you inheritance. You're going to get something out of this as well. Right? And so the translation qualified comes close to the sense of the Greek word since it's used in a legal comparison. Right? So it's a done deal. It's a done deal for you that you are now in Christ. 
And he has already achieved this status for us. He has qualified us to partake or made us adequate to be a part of the inheritance of God's promises and more importantly, God's covenant. Or this new covenant that we're under, right? And they're not two covenants, one for us, one for Israel. It's for all his people, right? That's what Paul talks about. He talks about it here in the letters. There's no Greek or Jew. It's everybody. We're one church. We're one group. There's no this or that. We get, we get grafted into their inheritance. We get the same promises they do. Right? This group we are now a part of, no matter how many people, right, during the first century, we're now, they want to say otherwise, right? This is one group. Paul is very clear that we are now one people. So he's telling the Jews... Stop picking on the pagans because they're now Christians because you're a Christian too. You're no, you're no longer a Jew. They're no longer a pagan. You're both Christians, right? It's something new. Because that's, so that's what they're telling. That's what Paul is telling them. And so we bring hope to the people who are on the outside, right? Because God brings them inside. We were all at once, one point, right? On the outside. We talked about going through Mark. We are now on the inside. Because we believe, we believe that Jesus is our Savior, what He did on the cross for us. He died for us. He died for you. He died for me. So imagine this news of the Colossians' ears, right? When they heard this, they're like, wow, we are? We're not different? We're not separate groups? We don't have to sit in the back? Right? You, yeah, you can sit up front. We're not, if they're Baptists, we know they're not going to, but they could. That we're going to get this same thing because we get to keep God's, we get to keep Christ's gift, right? Because if we think we have to earn it, that's not grace. That's quid pro quo. Right? If God says, I'll give you this grace, I'll give you this gift if you come to the house, or I'll give you this if you do that. That's not grace, right? It's like, here, here's your gift. I know you didn't get me anything because you can't. There's nothing you can do to repay your sins. So I paid it for you. And that gives me hope, right? Because I know that I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. Right? This is the battle in Romans 7. This is the battle throughout certain things, right? I want to do what I want to do because I'm a human being. I don't always want to do what God wants to do. Or wants me to do. God said, I get that. I'm going to fix it for you. You are now qualified. You're a Christian, right? And in, in, in Colossians 2, chapter or verse 18, Paul tells the Colossians, he says, Do not let people disqualify you. Do not listen to false teaching. Don't listen to other people that are either telling half-truths or anything else, but trying to combine Christianity with other religions and beliefs, and, oh, I can use crystals, and you can do this and this and that, because it doesn't work that way. God doesn't need any help from anything else. He is the one who makes us sufficient because He is sufficient. So don't let people talk you out of what you believe because you have learned the truth, right? So Paul talks about we've been delivered from darkness and transferred us from the light, or transferred us from the darkness to the light, right? That means partly the light and darkness are always conceived as, as opposing principles, right? And so it can be part of with, with Satan error, evil, or in this case especially, right, doubt or unbelief. Because right, what do we say? Our, my eyes were opened, right? All of a sudden I can see. I was in the dark. My eye was blind. I can't see. All of a sudden my eyes are open. I can see the light. Right? You were blinded by the light, like the song says, right? So, and this links to John 1, four, verses 4 and 5, right? So the prologue of John. So Paul and John are on the same page of being in the light. 
And all of a sudden, you know the truth, so you see, you see what it is now. All of a sudden, we, can't, we shouldn't want to go back to the dark. And we say, I don't want to stay in the light, so if it doesn't give me light, I'm not going over there. So if it sounds like people are telling you something and they're putting a shade over the flashlight, you're like, hmm, that doesn't sound right. I can't see Christ as well because of your, whatever your belief is, you're telling me other things that don't jive with what the Bible says, but what I've learned and what I understand. And so there's no need, when you're rooted in these teachings, right, when you have these teachings, you understand them, right, there's no need to have the wind blowing you around because you should be firmly rooted in Christ, right? And this is the second part, that God roots you in Christ. So verse 2 through 7, or verse two and, chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. It says, therefore, as you receive Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So what do we have to be rooted in? This is why we read chapter, chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, because that's who Jesus is. That's what He's done. That's who He is, right? He's just not a good teacher or a martyr who died for his belief system and all the teachers, all the other else went away, right? He's not just a good philosopher. He is God incarnate who came down, died for your sins, was buried and then rose again on the third day and then ascended back to heaven to the right hand of the Father. But you see, what Jesus also does through his actions, we have freedom and redemption. And so those words for the Jews, they automatically go to Exodus. Right? Exodus is a huge, the huge event in Jewish history that everything links to because Jesus, it was a foretelling of what Jesus would do to give everybody freedom. Everybody who believes. So this deliverance of the Jews from Egypt right, could be heard in this language, right? and the Jews would have keyed off on this. <clears throat> Redemption, deliverance of the exiles, their departure from Babylon and return to the homeland, accompanied by Yahweh himself. Right? This theme has eschatological overtones in Isaiah. Right, because they were already back. They were getting ready to be exiled again. So they knew that God was the one who got them out of Egypt. God was the one who bring them back from exile. God was going to be the one who saves them. Ultimately, right? The end times. So this promises that they will come at a time where they will come for a conclusive worldwide revelation of the glory of Yahweh, right? So this is what Jesus is. Everybody knows who Jesus is. You can get reactions from anybody if you say the name Jesus Christ. And you're not cussing. Right? People, people have an opinion no matter what. They know who Jesus is. We count time by Jesus. That's how important to the world He is. That's how ingrained He is. So according to Colossians 1.14, right, this proclamation has been fulfilled. Right, This proclamation of Isaiah has been fulfilled because the redemption has occurred. Put simply, Jesus fulfilled the prophecy, right? Especially this one in Isaiah. It's already happened. Isaiah 53 is about Jesus. That's why the Jews don't like to read it. Because if they're honest with each other, they know that it sounds exactly like Jesus and what happened. So they, a lot of times I've heard that they skip it in their readings. Because they don't want to deal with it, it seems like. I'm not an expert at that part, but that's what it seems like. Right, Paul explains both the Jews and those who are in the church right, and the Gentiles as well because both groups have different ideas on who Jesus is. He is the firstborn. So before we get going into some heresy, right, because that's what start, part of this start, started with some people interpreted it wrongly, that this statement is equivalent. Paul gives us a statement 
to give him equivalent status so we understand as a human being. He's the firstborn son. It doesn't mean he was born. Jesus has always existed. I want to make sure we understand that's super orthodox. We need to understand that. And if you walk out of here with one thing in your head today, Jesus was not born or created. He always has been with the Father. Period. But Paul is using language so we understand to say, right, this firstborn is used to give him status so people understand his place. Right? The term firstborn designates a position of preference or predominance. And this concept also carries the meaning of chosen or beloved. Right? Firstborn's got more of the inheritance. It's all about your birthright. And so the birthright, so one of the dictionaries I have or whatever says, this word denotes the, denotes the special privileges and advantages belonging to the firstborn son among the Jews. He became the priest of the family. Right? And we know Jesus fulfills three rules, right? Priest, prophet, and king. So the firstborn is the priest. So thus Reuben was the firstborn of the patriarchs, and so the priesthood of the tribes technically belonged to him. And that honor, however, was transferred by God from Reuben to Levi. So the firstborn son also had allotted to him a double portion of the paternal inheritance. Right? Reuben was, because of his undutiful conduct, deprived of his birthright. And so Esau also transferred his birthright to Jacob for what? For a bowl of soup. He said, I'll give away all my stuff. I'll trade you my inheritance of double portions of everything so you get all the house and half the cows or whatever it is for a bowl of soup. Because I'm hungry now and I don't want to wait. Right, the firstborn also inherited the judicial authority of his father, whatever it might be. And so by divine appointment, however, David excluded Adoniah in favor of Solomon. Right? So there we see all these things going on. And Jesus attaches sacred importance to the rank of firstborn and first begotten as applied to the Messiah. So as firstborn, he has an inheritance superior to his brethren and is alone the true priest. And this is why the sacrifice of Jesus works, because he was the priest. He was acting in a priestly manner during the sacrifice. Usually they would sacrifice animals, right? But he was the sacrifice. So he was fulfilling his priestly role as the firstborn on the cross. And he comes back and reigns in glory as the king. And he's foretelling all this stuff as he went along because he's the prophet. And so Jesus, Paul is telling them that Jesus has this premier place of power and he was fully God and fully man. So here we have this both at once. He's not half and half, he's not 50%. Like right, hand, right half was God, left half was a person. It's all, like 200%. He was completely filled up. Right? He is the rightful ruler of the world because he made all things, everyone and everything in it, including the Colossians. So again, you are under the rule of people of God. And He is the one who reconciled us, right? The elect, in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach for God, right? And we can hash out that word elect, but people are chosen at some point by God to, to become in His kingdom. Right? And if we look at it from an employment aspect, right? If we're looking at the person who's going to hire us, God owns the company, and he called you to give you a job. He said, Patrick, I need you to come to work tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. sharp. Wear your best clothes. Be here, right? And then at 8.50 in the morning tomorrow, God's going to meet you in the parking lot, walk you into your building, into the office, sit you down, and have you start working. That's what it is like. 
It's not just we're wandering around the building, you just go to HR. They'll, they'll get you in process and do these things, right? No, it's like, here, I am the, I am the boss, and I'm going to show you what to do. And I'm not micromanaging you, but I am taking care of you. I have qualified you and make sure you're good. Right? Jesus went to the cross. He died and rose again, right? And so in his resurrection, when we accept Christ, because we have to do it, we have to believe, we have to say it with our mouths, that I believe that Jesus is our, my Lord and Savior. He's doing these things for me. He has done them. We are also now raised with Christ in our new life. And so our new life begins when we die to ourselves and we are raised with Jesus, right? And so God raises you with Jesus in verse three, chapter 3, verse 1. And we're going to read chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Paul says, If you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetous, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Alright, so John Owen said, I have a little cartoon thing here, that said, kill sin or it be, or it be killing you. Right, be killing sin or be killing you, right? So, because if you don't kill your sin, if you don't bury your sin, if you can read the coffin lids there, it says pride and some other thing, you know, some other sins there. That's what he's doing in that picture. And that's from a thing called Reftunes, the website. He's an artist. He's got all kinds of cool pictures and stuff like that. But Paul is telling us that there's good news. If you have died and now your life is hidden with Christ, right? Your old life is gone. You're born again in the Spirit. So this is what Jesus was telling Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Right? And Nicodemus, he couldn't grasp the concept, right? Jesus said, you've got to be born again. He's like, well, how's a man going to be born again? That doesn't make any sense. I can't come out of the womb again. It's physically impossible. He says, you've got to be born again by the Spirit. Right? Because Jesus is explaining the concept of being renewed by the Holy Spirit. Right? You were resurrected. You have been raised with Christ. That's why we, when we baptize people, that's what we say. And so don't think about the worldly things, right? Think about all the things of your new job, right? How many of you get a new job, have ever gotten a new job, and go, man, I really want to go back to the old job. I love this old, I love my old job. I can't remember how much I missed it. And there is some part of that. Well, yes, I got to the, I retired from the Air Force. There are things that I miss about the Air Force, but ultimately, do I want to go back? Not really. There's a lot of stuff that I like that I, that I don't have to do in, in the civilian world that I had to do in the Air Force. So yes, I liked it. I love my time. I cherish it. But I don't want to go do it again all the time. It's the same thing. Be like, oh. Because again, you know, Mark and I were talking. Right? The Exodus again. Jews were out wandering around. They started lamenting. Oh, we had cucumbers. We had leeks. We had watermelons. We had all this food. It was great. Except for the part where you were slaves. Do you remember that? Yeah, but. Right? And we yeah, but it all the time. Yeah, but. Yeah, but you were sinning. Yeah, but you were still living in sin. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. You're still living in sin. In your old life, that's what you're doing. So we need to look forward, not look back. Right? Look toward the cross and march toward the cross in our lives. And that's what Paul's wanting to do when he talks about perseverance. Look at the cross. Keep going that way. Don't look behind you. There's nothing back there except death and destruction. 
in your old body. Right? Think about godly things. Look at life through God's perspective. And so, get immersed in God, right? Don't get immersed in what you used to have, but get in God. Get immersed in Him. Think about Him. Think, try to think like Him in a sense. Because Paul wants to realize that as we grow up in our new life, this is what we're doing because we have a strong root system we can grow up like a tree. Right? And so this new life, we talked about it last week, right? The things that Paul is asking them to do is very different from the society of Paul's day, right? We talked about it last week. Being nice to people, treating your wife with respect, treating slaves or employees with respect. Because we don't realize necessarily how much Christianity has impacted our Western society in particular. Because all these things, this, this new standard at the new job has now, is now basically considered as the old job for us, right? We grew up this way. You grew up being respectful, being these, doing all these things. And so the world has cut itself off from the root. The root being God and Christ, right? So the root is this is why you do these things because Christ has commanded us to live this way. But they wanted to cut the root off and have the, try to have the tree stand up somewhere in the, in the, in the woods by itself. It doesn't happen. It doesn't work. All it does is the tree rolls down the hill into the river and gets log jammed with all the rest of the trees in the river. And all of a sudden now you have a flood somewhere because the water's going backwards. Because all these trees don't have roots. And they die. And I think that's part of what you see going on in our world today. The world is dying. It's already been dying, but it's getting worse because the, the tree is rotting because there is no root. There's nothing to feed it. So we're constantly trying to stick those those little plant feeder things in there and give it water and give it food and like, well, this will work. This will keep it alive while I'm on vacation. No, you need to fix the root. And until we get back to that, that's what's happening. <clears throat> so Paul lays out his expectations in pretty much in, verse, in chapter 3 and 4 of how to act. And we can cover those more because it's some of it, but for verse 12, we'll go with verse 12. We'll put on then as chosen ones, right? Because this is your new self, so he's likening to, to clothing. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. Right? Those don't need any explanation. They need a lot of practice to do it, but they don't need any explanation. But that's how what we're supposed to do, and that's what the world is built so we're all chosen, we're all qualified, right? We want to act these ways. And this is completely different in Paul's day to them telling you these things to his people, right? So what do we do with this, though? What do we do with this information now, though? So here we go. Here's first. The first thing is, one, focus on your new life with Christ. Right? Focus on your new life with Christ. John quotes Jesus in his gospel by saying, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So how do you love your spouse? How do you love your kids? How do you love your neighbor? Or how do you love the stranger? Right? That's what the criteria is and that's why we do this because we are rooted in Christ. 
So Rosaria Butterfield, who was a Christian author, and she's a former unbeliever, says, here's the edge. Christians are called to live in the world, but not live like the world. Christians are called to dine with sinners, but not sin with sinners. But either way, when Christians throw their lot in with Jesus, we lose the rights to protect our own reputation. We shouldn't really worry about our own reputation because we're acting as Christ. And he did the same thing. The second thing we do is that we focus on Christ who made the new life possible. Right? We focus on the new life. We focus on Christ who made our new life possible. Right? We talked a little bit about this last week, but it's worth returning to. It's God who makes your life possible, right? The Father sent the Son, the Son obediently provided the sacrifice to reconcile the world, and the Holy Spirit worked to convict you of your sins and get you to be saved, to realize and get you to that decision point where you need to say, I believe, because I can't live this way. I want to be reborn. Right? The triune God is fulfilling all their roles, all their distinct roles, because they're distinct people. But they're three in one, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And make sure that we understand because the Trinity is extremely important. And I think as Baptists, I think we do a decent job but not a great job per se. But Puritan Richard Sibb says, There is more height and depth and breadth. There are greater dimensions in love and mercy in Christ than there are in our sin and our miseries. And all of this is gloriously revealed in the Gospel. And the gospel is what we need to focus on. No matter how bad you think you are, Jesus already paid your sins. He already qualifies you. So if you think you can't qualify for the job, you already got it. Right? So there's, I watched a movie yesterday as a Western, and uh, it had Kiefer Sutherland. He was a gun, he's a gunslinger, and he goes into the, his dad was a preacher. He goes into the church, and he's like, ah. He was kind of towards the end of the movie. He's like, oh, I, I don't think you can forgive me because I've done so many bad things. I'm like, that's how we think, right? I'll come to church when I'm good enough. Well, if you've already sinned, you're never going to be good enough, technically, so you're never going to come. But if you realize that you've been forgiven, it makes it easier to walk in the door, right? So that's the thing, because Christ has more mercy. There are greater dimensions, as Sip says, right? Greater dimensions in his love and mercy than in our sin. So no matter how tall we think our sin pile is, Jesus' love is taller. And that's definitely the good news that people need to hear. And lastly, we need to focus on the true biblical Jesus. The true biblical Jesus. Not who we want Jesus to be, to live in our box in the attic somewhere, away in a box. Like, I'll pull you out for Christmas or you know, put you out when I'm really struggling. But other than that, just stay over there. Don't wreck my life. Let him wreck your life. Let him destroy it and rebuild it because it'll be better. Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That means you have to know the words. And so Paul loves the church so much. He loves them even though he's never met them. He wants, them to, help, he wants to help them and warn them against false religion, half-truths, and when people want to slide in their favorite part of their old religions. One of the things I hated in the Air Force was people would come to the new, new duty station and go, my last base, we used to do this. I don't know if that works. I don't know how that plays out in the civilian world if people do that a little bit. My last job, we did it this way. Well, great. And we can try it maybe, but don't bring your problems because you left over there over to the new place to mess it up again. Right? Don't, don't wreck our thing. We're already a wreck anyhow. Right? We, we have enough problems. 
right? But don't, don't be moving out of the state, taking your crazy politics with you to mess up that state, right? It's the same thing. It's just, we need to get down and get, get to the brass tacks of who Jesus is. We need to know these things. Because all of a sudden, again, they lose, they forget why they left their old job and they want to make their new job a lot like their old job because they're comfortable with it. But we need to focus and know who the true Bible is, who the true biblical Jesus is. So when people come to your door, just show them 15 and explain what the firstborn means to what actually means in the context. Not to what our 21st century idea of the firstborn is, meaning, oh, he was totally born and we, oh, God, God, God had him. God created him. No, God didn't create him. He's God. Jesus is God. He was there. So we are qualified by God. We are rooted and planted in the foundation of Christ's work so that no one can move us because He is eternal. And in Him, and your belief in Him, you are going to have new life, a new eternal life. Right? That's the other part of that. Is, this is like D-Day, right? So D-Day, the, they landed, they beat them, but it still took another year for, for the Allies to get to Berlin and beat, you know, finally defeat the Germans. It took 11 months, roughly. Right? So we're here, and here, but now, but not yet. It's the same thing. Jesus came, he conquered, and, and if you read through chapters 2 and 3, Jesus conquered everybody. He already beat everybody. And now we're just waiting for the end times, for Revelation, to, to, to the final battles to happen. But Paul cares enough about his church even though he's never met them, right, that they know the truth and they can live in the truth. And they can live out this new life, this new job they've been given. And we share this incredible gift with others, right? From the past, we are hearing the same things and being comforted by the same things that were written roughly 2,000 years ago. Say, well, it still applies. Go figure. But it's also like, yes, this is who Jesus is. He's the same as he was then, now, and later. Because we're also sharing in the future people as it goes on, as long as it goes on, right? We serve the risen Lord and the creator of all things. And so even if we don't do a great job at our new job, at our new life, we are forgiven, right? We're not going to hit all these love everybody, love your wife all the time, love your husband all the time, respect him, doing all these things, right? Because we do fall back into our old selves occasionally, unfortunately. But we need to make it a turn if we're constantly focusing on Christ we do it less because we don't want to look backwards and do those things again. So this week, right, because we're, perf we're perfect in our Father's eyes, right, we're perfected. We're not necessarily perfect, but we're perfected. So as we go out this week, right, as you live your life, if you're going to read over this again, look at it and go, hmm, I didn't know that, right? So look at these things and see how we can do this. How are you doing in your new job? And how can you help bring new people into the company as well, right? That's kind of how we look at it. So as, as the band comes up and gets ready to sing, right, think about these things today as we go through this this week. Right? So let's go ahead and get ready.